If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 4, and 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 9. Now, some of you, while you're turning, hopefully you got a bulletin this morning. I told you this was coming, and, uh, and I'll explain it a little bit more as I go. But in, the, in your bulletin, if you didn't pick, get one coming in, get one going out. And look at this list. All I'm asking you is do a consideration here of your name, either your company or your, and your, major, your telephone number and a commitment. And the commitment we'll discuss as we go through this sermon. Because I think it's important that we understand that we don't just have to go to Honduras to be mission-minded. We can do mission work right here where we live, and we're going to as a church. We need not only to worship Christ, we need not only to be discipled, but we need to engage. And to engage means you go do things like what we actually saw in our own community. I'm a firm believer. If we're not willing to do what we did in Honduras here in this, in this area, then we're hypocrites. We're hypocrites. To sit here in a nice building, heat or cooled, lights on, sitting in padded chairs and carpeted floors, and all we're going to do is come and worship and maybe hit a discipleship or Bible study every once in a while and do nothing to engage, it's wrong. And the Bible even says it's sin for you and I to do that. So as we look at this, I want us to consider the subject today. Our Heavenly Father wants all of us to be saved. I understand that there are certain people teach different theological things, and I just don't agree with them, that, that long time ago when God wound this thing up before man was ever here, he had in his mind through a predetermined will that only a few were going to be saved and, a few are, are, and, a, and there would be people who are lost. And God's will determined all of that. I don't believe that, and I just don't believe the Bible teaches that. And if you do, please show me in the Word of God, where it teaches that. And you say, well, why would you bring up a certain doctrine like that? Because that doctrine is sweeping throughout this land called Calvinism in our Baptist churches, and, uh, and it sort of takes away the evangelistic thrust, I believe. I mean, if it's already predetermined, wound up, why share? Why go bother? Why spend... Uh, the money that we took to go to Honduras, if it's already a predetermined deal and it's already going to happen, why go do all that? And uh, I want you to see that Jesus evidently didn't believe that. Because in John chapter 4, if you'll look at it with me, I'm going to read it in the New King James Version that says, verse 1, John 4, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but it, but it was his disciples. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he said, before I go to Galilee, which, by the way, he said he needed to go through Samaria first. And Samaria was out of the way now. So Jesus had a mission in mind. He had a, an intent in mind. And it says in, in verse 5, So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came and draw, to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, Ma'am, give me a drink. 
For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy some food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman. For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, her, said unto her If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I want you to listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that says this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, and some can, as some count slackness. But, he's, but he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's an interesting verse because in the New Living Translation, it says the Lord isn't really being slow about His promise. What kind of promise is He talking about? He's talking about the, the, the promise of coming back for the church. He's talking about the rapture of the church. He said, now look, God's not slow about that, as some men think, but no, He's being patient. Why? Why has Jesus not come back yet? Because the Father is being patient. It is the Heavenly Father that's going to commission Jesus, who now is at the right hand of the Father, to come back and to get the church. That will remove and take away, at that point, the grace of God. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will then back away and from then on out until the tribulation period, the only way you and I will be able to be saved if we were to hear, if we were here and if we're saved, we're not going to be here. But if you were end up in the tribulation, there's only one way to be saved. And that is that you died for your faith. You've heard the, the, the mark of the beast, 666, I'm sure, and, and all that's in the book of the Revelation. And all of that is an indication that during the time the government is going to be so in control that you will not be able to buy or sell, and the government will be under the control of the Antichrist. And so what Jesus is saying here, he says, look, guys, I just want you to know, Jesus... Uh, The Father is being very patient for your sake. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. So he's giving more time for everyone to repent, to come to know Jesus. I know of no better story in the Bible than John 4, 1 1 through really the end of the chapter, that teaches about an encounter that Jesus had of winning a sinful woman to, to, to himself, to bring them that person, to faith in Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says, and it's an announcement of the angel, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You see, in verse 42 of John chapter 4, it says Jesus is the Savior of the world. What's that mean? It means that he is the one who saves us, and he is the Lord of our lives. In Matthew 18, 11, it says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. For the per- See, the purpose of the Lord's coming to this earth was to be the Savior of the world. It wasn't so we could just find out that there was a God. He came so that you and I might have a personal relationship with him, that we might have an engagement, a connection, intimacy with him as he lives within us. 
as God's people on this earth. You know, someone has well written that an artist, to, to an artist, the Lord Jesus Christ, is one altogether lovely. To the architect, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. To a baker, he's the living bread. To the banker, he's the hidden treasure. To the bi- biologist, Jesus is life. To the carpenter, he's the door. To the doctor, he's the great physician. To the educator, he's the great teacher. To the engineer, he's the new and living way. To the farmer, Jesus is the sower and the Lord of the harvest. To the florist, he is the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. To the horticulturist, he's the true vine. To the judge, he's the righteous judge and the judge of all men. To the juror, he's the faithful and true witness. To the jeweler, he's the pearl of great price. To the lawyer, he's the counselor and lawgiver and advocate. To the newspaper, he's the good news of great joy. To the philosopher, he's the wisdom of God. To the preacher, he's the word of God. To the sculptor, he's the living stone. To the sinner, he's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. To the Christian, he is the Son of the living God, the Savior, and the Redeemer, and our Lord. Let me tell you something. The Bible is full of teaching that shares you and I the need that we have to be not only a believer, but the need that we need to, to experience a saving Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, it declares Jesus as able to also save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. In other words, Jesus, and somebody well said this, Jesus is not only to save the uttermost, but the guttermost. There's nobody that Jesus can't save. Now, some of you say, well, Brother Mike, you don't know my family. I mean, we got some... Dillies in our family. I mean, they are beer drinking, whiskey drinking, smoke doping, crack cocaine, meth addicts. I mean, you just don't know our family. No, I may not know your family, but I know who does, and his name is Jesus. And he says in the Word of God that there's nobody that he can't save. There's nobody that he can't bring unto himself under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. I believe today that it's the church and people in the church that drive more people away than the Holy Spirit's trying to drive to him because of their religious pettiness, because of their religious tangent living. Listen, Jesus was not petty and he was not a tangent believer. He loved sinners. And the Bible says he not only come to die for sinners, but he also come to save sinners. And we see that exemplified here in John chapter 4. Let's look at it in verse 7. The Bible says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. We really don't know her name, but during the course of conversation that Jesus had with this woman, we find out that this woman was a troubled woman. I've been in the ministry now some 38 years, and I've been around a lot of troubled people. As a matter of fact, I've been in the middle of trouble myself. Jesus, when he came unto this woman, he already knew her. He already knew her name. He already knew the situation. As a matter of fact, the reason he was at that well, when they were supposed to be going to Galilee, he said, I need to go to Samaria 
Because in his mind, he knew there was somebody there he needed to talk to. Well, why do you think that this woman was so troubled? Well, in verses 17 to 18 of John 4, their conversation had gotten to the point that Jesus was sharing with a woman, the woman was sharing with Jesus, and all of a sudden, the woman had made a comment about her husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You've not only been married one time, you've been married how many? Five times. And the woman you are, or the man you're now with, is not your husband. Believe it or not, I hear Christian people, evidently people who have not read the Word of God like they ought, Ask me this question. Mike, is it all right? Is it okay with Jesus that me and my boyfriend, me and my girlfriend live together before we get married? To be honest, in my earlier days of ministry, I was never asked that question. I mean, it was an established fact that that was wrong. And it wasn't wrong because I think it's wrong, or I wrote it's wrong, it was wrong because Jesus taught it was wrong. I think it's an amazing thing that this woman, evidently, her troubled life meant she couldn't stay married. And every time she got married, I don't, you say, well, what happened to her? Why didn't she live longer with these men? I don't know. Maybe she got in there and, you know, and got bored and said, you know, this and I thought this was Mr. Right. But evidently, it's Mrs. Wrong or Mr. Wrong. And so they separate. Then they move to the next one. Well, this one is uh, this one is right dead on. And then all of a sudden, boom, they've separated. And, and for some reason, she went all through five. Now, if I had been married five times, I mean, if I had been married five times, I probably would have gotten to the fifth and said, you know what? I'm just going to live with them. Why go through all this trouble when it, it don't look like it's going to work out? We just live together. You know what? That's human, re- uh, that's human reasoning. And I got news for you. It really doesn't matter what you think or what I think. There is a, th- a way that is right unto man, but the ways of, that, of man's ways are, are destruction. But God has a right way. I used to say, you know what? I got married, and I'll n- never divorce Cindy. Murder, maybe, but never. (laughs) Well, that'd be just as wrong if I killed her than it would be. But, you know, if anybody's been married as long as I have, and I have people come up to me all all the time when I talk about this stuff and say, you know what, preacher? We have never, we've been married 50 years, and we have never had a crossword. You don't have to have a cross word and speak. You can just quit cooking. You can quit all that other stuff that he needs. You can quit a bunch of stuff and you don't have to have a cross word. 
but you just can't look at one another. <laughs> one preacher come up to me and said, you know what? I've never said a cuss word in my life. I really? But he said, I sure have written down a bunch of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we are so tacky in our tangent junk. Listen, the church today, I believe this all in my heart. I believe Jesus told this woman, and he brought these five husbands up, and the one that she was living with for one reason. I believe he was, and he did, he brought, he was taking her and attempting to take her to a confession that she was, that she sinned. And, and, and let me tell you something, you've heard me say this a hundred times over. Unless you realize you're a sinner, you can't ever be saved. Well, let me make it another way. Unless you realize that you need to be saved, you're not going to get saved. And until we see that we are in need of a Savior, why would we do something? Why would we pray to somebody we've never seen before? And so understand that Jesus exposed her troubled life. He exposed the wrong in her life. Get this, though. A lot of folks in the church today, they're so religious. I call it so spirit. Not, I don't even, I'm not going to say spiritual-minded. I'm going to say so religious-minded, they're no earthly good whatsoever. What do you mean by that? I mean, all you care about is having your tangent proved. What good is that? Jesus spoke the word of God with her. He spoke the Ten Commandments to her. And she did not, I mean, the Bible did say she went her way, but what happened? We'll we'll look at that in a minute. You see, this woman at the well in her personal life had, had been soiled and stained and defiled and degraded by sin and Satan. But isn't it cool to see Jesus that he wouldn't, he wouldn't, so religious that he couldn't talk to her? That he couldn't love her? Why, why has the church today gotten so critical? Why is the church... We, we feel like we got a spiritual gift to go around straighten people out. There is no spiritual gift. I promise you, if you let the Holy Spirit do it, they, he'll do a lot better job than you. But if, if we're not careful and we're not tactful and we don't know how to do it, we run folk off. And I guarantee you, you'll be to the point where people don't want to be around you no more. Especially if you don't know how to spiritually approach someone about something that might be wrong in their life. Well, we see not only was she uh, morally destitute, but she was so socially despised. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, notice the Scripture says that she came to the well in the sixth hour. What does that mean? It means that she came to the, to the well at 12 o'clock noon. The tradition was you don't go to the well to get water at 12 o'clock. You go to the well early in the morning or late in the evening. Why did she go to the well at 12 o'clock? Because she didn't want to see anybody. She didn't want to talk to nobody. Isn't that how sin will do us? I've seen people, be honest with you, 
that be so right with God and, and full of Jesus and, and so energetic and, and being willing to share Jesus and, 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 and uh, lead people to the Lord, but then sin entered the camp. And all of a sudden, you just watch them. They back up. They end up in isolating themselves. They end up through over here with a guilt, guilt complex, and they just don't want to be around nobody. They don't want anybody to know the shape that they've gotten in. I'm talking about people who once were on fire for God, but now they're not on fire anymore. I mean, now it, it's, it's all about me. Don't you say anything and hurt me. <laughs> well, she is basically a social outcast. She was socially despised, and the world would have seen her, they would have, the mothers would grabbed up their little girls if she'd have come walking in public and they, they'd have pulled their little girls off to the side. Oh, that's trash. That's terrible. We don't want to be around that. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus looked at this woman and he looked beyond her faults and he saw her need. He knew that she needed him. And she needed something a lot greater than who she was. So, that leads us to the second thing in verse 7. We see the woman not only with a troubled life, but we see the woman with a thirsty life. Verse 7 tells us that the woman came to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, Would you give me a drink? Now, the, the thing about this... Jesus wasn't even supposed to be talking to her. Remember now, the disciples were where? They were at Walmart. And they were shopping. And uh, they had went off for food. And here, this Jesus and this woman was at noontime at a well. And he said, lady, would you give me a drink? He knew this woman was thirsty. And today, as I look at the church, and I look at this church, and I look at some of the churches in in Honduras and, and others that I've been in, I see a thirsty crowd. I mean, what's happening is they don't they're not going to the right well. They're going to the well of somebody else. They're going to the well of material possession. They're going to the well of money. They're going to the wells of the world. And the world is not given satisfaction. There's only one well that you and I can drink from that we will have peace and joy and happiness that only that well can provide, and that's the everlasting well, the eternal life well of Jesus Christ. It's only one. You see, verse 14 said, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him shall be in a well of water springing up everlasting life. She had a little bit of a sideways, but, I mean, she didn't know who she was talking to. She said, I would love to have that water. That means I never have to come back and draw water again. Sort of missed it a little bit. Isn't it amazing? We're always looking for shortcuts. And, but there is no shortcut 
in coming to Jesus. You come to Jesus by the way he came to you. He looked at you in love. He looked at you in acceptance. He looked at you through the eyes of the Father. He looked at you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, I care about you. I love you. And while the world and the church may be criticizing you and the world and the church may be being critical in their spirit and trying to pick you apart, I can give you the living water that will quench your thirst if you come to me. Donald Trump in an interview said, whoever says money can't buy happiness doesn't know where to shop. Well... Donald Trump has a lot of money, but he don't seem happy to me. And there's a lot of people who've got a lot of money, and a lot of people, such as John W. Rockefeller, on one occasion, he said, I have many, I've made many millions, but they brought me only, they brought me no happiness. J.W. Vanderbilt said, once said that the care of $2 million is enough to kill anyone. Someone such as Henry Ford said, I'm happier when I'm doing mechanics. Andrew Carnegie said, millions seldom ever smile. What do they say? They're saying that if you're drinking of the well of money and seeking happiness and peace with only what money can provide, you will not find it. It will leave you always desiring more. Someone wrote a poem about an ancient mariner who said, Water, water everywhere. All the boards did shrink. Water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. Out in the middle of the ocean, water's everywhere. But what good is it if you don't have the living water or fresh water? You can't drink salt water. You see, you and I have... We want happiness, but we sometimes fail to see where happiness and real joy comes from. So Jesus saw a woman that was a troubled life and a thirsty life, but verse 30 is the key. He saw a woman, or we see this woman, with a transformed life. Now get this. Jesus has done told her, you're right. You evidently can't get it together. You got five husbands. You know, I've heard people say, that God only acknowledges one relationship, then Jesus just messed up. Because he just said, that woman had how many husbands? Five. So don't think that it's only one. But now one should be the one we'd stick with. Like I told you. I was preaching this in Honduras. And, and I said, I don't believe we ought to live together. I think we need to get married. And Jimmy pulled me off to the side and said, Mike, have you forgotten the Honduran way? I said, what do you mean? He said, they don't make but $5 a day in Honduras. That's top wage for the people out we were preaching to. He said, Mike, how much does it cost to get married in Honduras? Forgot that. $500. That's the only way you can get married legally in Honduras. You have to go to the city and go through this long, drawn-out process 
and pay them $500 so they can give you a legal document that says you're legally married. I said, I think I just put a bunch of people in bondage, didn't I? He said, Mike, most of the people that you will meet and you will preach to out in the villages have never had $500 to go speak, to get a legal piece of paper to get married. But isn't it amazing? Those women, those men, when they got married or, or came together, they stayed together. They, they didn't fly by one light after another and another and another and another and another and another. You say, Mike, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yes, I do. Everybody in my family except me has been married five times. Except my mom and dad. And now they're in heaven. Oh, yeah, I've dealt with it. I've gotten so much trouble at Christmas time because I can't remember the names of the last one that they were with. And I come in there and call them the names that was one, three generations of, oh, Lord, it's worse than that, Sissy. I mean, they were ready to scalp me because I can't remember everybody's name. And, and I can, that's just the way I am. I, I, I get in all kind of trouble. But you know what? When I got to thinking about that, the Bible says that God made a woman for Adam. And he brought that white woman unto Adam. And you know what? It don't say that he said, now, Adam, go down to the courthouse. There wasn't no courthouse. There wasn't no certificates. But I'll tell you what, it, what he expects. God expected Adam and Eve to stay together and, and be committed to one another and love one another and be fruitful and multiply and serve him. And, 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 and then I go, oh, okay, I, I, I got it now. <laughs> because, I mean, we get this stateside uh, biblical view sometimes in our mind. We don't, we don't broaden it, and, and we don't think about really what the Bible is teaching. Is it right to continually go from one mate after another? Ask the kids. Just ask the kids. No. Is it, is it wrong to, to, or okay to live together with somebody and just for the sake of just because you want to and have sex or whatever you want to do? No, absolutely not. We're to commit ourselves to people, one another until death do apart. And I believe that that's, that's, that's biblical, until sickness or uh, until undeath. I think that's, that's what we should do. But also don't think it's unpardonable sin. If you've had that happen to you, it didn't work out. God forgives. I mean, Jesus acknowledged five husbands with that woman. Apparently, he forgave some. So we can't hang things. Again, we go back to this tangent living and all these petty things in the church. And and if you want to isolate yourself, I'm not talking about being liberal. I'm not talking about taking a stand. I'm just talking about Jesus loved this woman to share Jesus, and she was a sinful woman. And verse 30 said, she went back and told, here's what the verse said, told the men to come and see a man who told things about her. Now, what did that mean? I'll tell you what it meant. She went back there and said, you know, you and I got married. This, come on with me. You, know, you, we, you and I got married. We, come on with me. Went with those five husbands. And now you and I are shacking up. You come on with me. And, and she just drug all them men right on along with her and brought her right on to Jesus. And the Scripture says they all got saved. Problem is, we make such a mess of things, even in divorce, we can't even talk to one another no more. 
believe that Jesus is clear that the reason he came was to eliminate our sin problem and to provide us a way for eternal life. And I think what he's saying to the church is quit being so doggone critical. Quit being so doggone picky and tangent. By the way, if that's all you can hang on and, and measure your spiritual growth by, that ain't much. I'll guarantee you that right now. But if you come to me and say, you know what, me and Jesus, we pray together every day. Me and Jesus commune every day. We speak to one another day. He shared me the other day about this, and he led me to this, other, this person over I ain't never met in my life. And, and, and I went to sit down, and Jesus had already been working with her, and I found out, hey, that was ordained by God. I just listened. Just listen. Now, that's powerful stuff. That's, that's beyond religion. That's, that's right stuff. That's really spiritual stuff. I mean, you guys, in, in the bulletin we put in here, you, some of you, you, you may never share Jesus the way that uh, you would like to, but I guarantee you one thing. You can choose this piece of paper, and you can say, you know what? I am a construction laborer, and I'll help anybody in any way, one day, two days, three days a week, in a given year. I'll help, and you know what? Maybe my help will ease the pain and open the door so that one person might be able to hear about Jesus because we have engaged ourselves into the community. Do you realize when we went into these villages and we brought all the gifts and barren and we went and shared Jesus, they listened to us because they realized we cared enough to come 1,300 miles. Really more than that. But 1,300 to be conservative. To tell them about Christ. And to give them things. Or help them. Or give a little soothingness to their pain of poverty. With your head bowed and your eye closed. Father.